Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1406 entitled Hunting Myths. <laughs> Our podcast title is If It Streams We Can Pot It. I am Rob Jan. <laughs> and Megan McHugh. <laughs> ah, so we are here to talk about films from the 70th myth and also mm-hmm. The latest entry in the Predator movie franchise, Prey, which is now streaming, weirdly enough, on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Not so weird. It was pitched as the first R-rated Disney princess movie. <laughs> I'm here for it. I feel like uh, let's get it going. Let's get some more interesting stuff happening. Yeah. <laughs> now, a quick take on the Predator movie franchise. Uh, it began in 1987 with John McTiernan's Immortal Predator. Not very mm. inventive in the titles, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, this is a really complicated kind of thing. It's mm. really basically, actually, as Oz said once in um, Buffy the Vampire, not so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, you know, the most dangerous game, to quote a film and story title, is, of course, man, the human being. So if you're going to hunt something, Hunting human beings is the go-to for thrillers, horror movies, and science fiction as well. Mm -hmm. And in this case, there's Mm -hmm. an alien hunter who comes to Earth to hunt human beings in the jungles of South America. That was in the first Predator movie. Now, you don't get more human than Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) (laughs) And he was the star of that film alongside the Predator. And... His group of hard-bitten special forces operatives are basically in the jungles in order to take down a bunch of rebels who have captured some good guys. And, of course, this is 1987, Mm -hmm. so when I say that, I mean in inverted commas because, I don't know, I was kind of feeling sympathetic for the rebels in this particular case. (laughs) And anyway, the... It all goes horribly wrong and Arnold Schwarzenegger survives to tell the tale. Now, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. spawned a sequel, Predator 2. Again, very inventive. Stephen Hopkins was in charge of that one. Danny Glover was the human star of that, uh, peddling along his original take on every cop. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, in Predator, that's set in Los Angeles. And actually, the urban jungle is just as horrific as the organic one in the first movie. And there's an Easter Mm -hmm. egg in that second Predator movie that pertains to this new film. Predator 3 Mm. came out, a.k.a. Predators. Oh, so clever. And in this case, it was humans imported to stock a Predator game world, which was kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, That one, like Predator 2, that's actually an okay film, Uh, although I don't think Mm -hmm. they made quite enough of the intriguing sort of setting that they had, and that was directed by... (laughs) Nimrod Antal. 
Now, mm-hmm. the Predator came out in 2018. Shane Black directed that one along with uh, Fred Decker, I think, uh, well, with a story in, in there as well. So Shane Black, of course, played the character of Hawkins in the first Predator movie, got okay. s- rapidly sliced and diced. <laughs> And, of course, it's gone on to make a number of my favourite movies. Mm, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, and also uh, Iron Man 3. Most of these movies (laughs) set at Christmas (laughs) for some particular reason, if you think about it, uh, amongst others. And, unfortunately, you would have thought that that would have been the best of all possible combos, but it wasn't Mm. quite. He had a take Mm. on it set in a small town in America and in the woods nearby. And unfortunately, it sort of got a a dirty dozen crew of soldiers going up against it, plus some scientists, Mm -hmm. and it's all a Mm -hmm. bit muddy and it doesn't quite land where it should do, which is very unfortunate, a bit of a misfire there. And, of course, this new film, Prey. Now, we don't – of course, there's the two Aliens versus Predator films, Um, AVP-1, which is a bit of a mess. It's set in an Aztec period in Antarctica, which isn't anywhere near as Lovecraftian as it might sound, and and worse, elements from the excellent first Alien versus Predator comic book are incorporated Mm. into the story, but they're badly fumbled. So it doesn't work. AVP-2, which actually has a title called Requiem. Ridiculous title. This is, it's almost a parody, isn't it? It's like, let's add an S. Yes. Let's add the. <laughs> well, that's set in a contemporary small town in the, the US. Um, okay. And unfortunately, again, I expected way more from the inventive brothers Strauss, who did Skyline, mm. but this is mm-hmm. another mess. Although it does mm-hmm. have the honor of hosting the literally most stomach churning scene in any alien or predator movie the envelope, Ooh. please, when a, a xenomorph gets loose in a maternity ward. Ugh. Oh, mate, come on. That's in poor taste it in my opinion. extraordinarily horrible. But they are horror movies, so, you know, they went there. Okay. okay. Although there are some nice little uh, Predator short films um, on the Shane Black release of the DVD from his movie, so including mm-hmm. one where it's um, Santa Claus versus the Predator. <laughs> And I thought that was uh, particularly clever. Now, um, that's the the movies, uh, five basic Predator movies, including this one, which is called Mm -hmm. Prey. All right, so this is directed by Dan Trachtenberg. No relation to Dawn from Mm -hmm. Buffy. (laughs) Uh, Now, he's done some... Not not a huge CV, but he does have to his credit 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is kind of the mm-hmm. sequel to mm-hmm. Cloverfield. And I thought that that was a really good movie. Uh, it finds its feet again, doesn't it, it that does. Cloverfield franchise with that film. Mm. Yeah, before it shoves them into a, a barrel full of acid. Uh, so, you know, it's got lots of things going for it. But he also did an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, P- Playtest. Yeah, Playtest. that's a good one. Playtest. <laughs> And he also done television serve, uh, commercials, and he's working on a TV series adaptation of all things of Waterworld. That's ambitious. <laughs> ambitious. Very okay. Is it but not? he he did he did also do the pilot of The Boys, which is um, 
pretty decent gem to have in your crown as well. He was uh, listed to do the film adaptation of Why the Last Man, which got turned into a, a cancelled television show. Yeah, and he, that was a very good episode of The Boys too, by the way, the, um, mm-hmm. the first episode mm-hmm. of that. So he's got a few kicks under his belt. Yeah. And now we come yeah. with this new Predator film. And I thought, wow, um, is this going to be a, another uh, just basically a mess and a wreck? But, but watched it and was absolutely knocked out. It's dead on target mm. and um, perfectly paced and pitched. It's genuinely spooky at times. And, mm. and it's headlined by a stunningly spot-on performance by Amber Midthunder and uh, also uh, Dakota Beavers. Now, they play a brother and sister. They're 17th century Comanche tribes people, First Nations people, and um, this time they're the ones who are fighting the alien warrior. So Mm. there you go. That's the plot in a nutshell, basically. (laughs) Uh, I I shouldn't forget Dane Deligro, either, who plays the predator here mostly. I've always got to call that the the poor bugger who's inside of the predator suit. Exactly. I so Rob, you had um kind of we set the the scene for this uh, in last week's show. So I already knew going in that you'd enjoyed this. So I and you'd given me the logline. You know, it's Predator, but it's set in the seventeen hundreds. And I was like, ooh. And so I went in, wasn't too sure, but I too was pleasantly surprised. Like it was really engaging. And this is also for someone who confession has not seen any Predator at all. I I know. <laughs> wow. Rob's got a shocked look on his face. So I think I just I missed those like the early Schwarzenegger and uh, I may have seen AVP, but as mentioned, we don't really count those, do we? Um obviously and I think Alien was always my thing. And so I don't know why, but for some reason just I never I never caught up with with Predator. But which is what I will say in this film, I get so much of the lore and the the kind of um understanding how Predator works from this film without it being overly expositional. And I thought that was really clever. It never detracts from the setting and the core story it's trying to do in this film by explaining, well, the Predator does this and it knows to do that because it's told so classily as part of just the action. So I was really impressed that I could just dip into dip into this straight up and I knew what was going on. An interesting thing about this, I, I feel as that because of the cultures and the social groups that this predator intrudes upon, chooses as his prey, his or her mm. actually, because it's pretty hard to sure. tell with predators, um, the idea that the opponents actually don't really have to be too educated in terms of this is an alien, it's come here to hunt us. There's no real working things out. You know, I mean, the Comanche Indians are a warrior culture at this stage, as well as being, well, they're hunter-gatherers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, grizzly bears, mountain lions, wolves, to them it's just like Wednesday, <laughs> you know. Uh, mm. And there's a, there's a group of um, French uh, trappers in there as well, trappers and mm. uh, buffalo hunters. And, you know, that's their thing too. So everyone really gets what this predator is doing automatically. There's no Mm. long lead-up exposition into that. And, of course, for the audience who've seen the other four movies, well, you know, we already have a good (laughs) idea of what's going on. Um, The predator, if you've not ever run into one, it's a very large alien being. 
uh, very aggressive, usually hunting alone, not always, but hunting alone. Uh, and it's basically on Earth as kind of a rite of passage type thing. And obviously they've done this before and they will do it again in the future. So there is a, a sense of a sort of historical hunt. Basically it's like good old boys, you know, sort of out there, just come in for a few a few kills for a couple of days when hunting season is open. They tend to mm. generally like warm environments. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Los Angeles in the summer, the the jungles in South America, you know, here. I'm not getting too much of a sense of it being too hot, but it's obviously not winter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so there you go. Um, I don't really need to go too much more into it. I will say it's not the first time in the franchise that the hunters have stalked First Nations humans in the Americas, uh, notably mm-hmm. the character Billy in the first film and one or two of the comic book spin-offs, I recall. Although in the more modern comic book, they actually use a tank to hunt the predator. <laughs> so mm. That's a little bit uh, different. Now, I must say that on the Disney Plus uh, streaming. If you click on extras in the uh, in the on the page that's got all the Predator movie, the, sorry, the Prey movie, um, you will find that you can watch it in a dub with Comanche language and English subtitles as well, uh, which is amazing. A way to watch it is kind of preferred. Uh, it, it adds extra impact to the story. I felt, yeah, as well as yeah. being more respectful too. You know, so yeah. Hello, me little lovelies. This is your old fat auntie Jack on Radio Free Triple R. You're listening to Zero G, and if you don't listen to it closely, I'm going to jump through your speakers and rip your bloody arms off. And I will too. Yeah, Predator Instinct there by Sarah Shanaka, and that is a track from Prey, which is streaming on Disney Plus, the fifth Predator movie in that very long-running franchise, which sprawled out Mm. from movies into games and toys and most notably, I think, in comic books. There are some really good Predator comic books, including the Alien vs. Predator one that kicked off that franchise too, sub-franchise crossover. (laughs) Now, uh, Sarah Shanaka also did... Um, music video games, as well as has credits on John Dies at the End, The Expendables 2, Now You See Me, and also an arranger and programmer on Iron Man 3, which, of course, was directed by Shane Black, who was one of the ill-fated Special Forces operatives in the original Predator (laughs) movie. (laughs) All right, now, uh, there's not much more to say about this movie the cinematography is great the pacing is terrific the costuming is excellent including for the predator mm-hmm. taking the predator in, into a more primitive and brutal place that it's than it's been before i feel in some respects i noticed that they haven't given the predator a plasma caster shoulder cannon in this one because they mm-hmm. kind of have the a bit of an honour code in terms of that wouldn't be appropriate for hunting these people because yeah. they're armed with bows and arrows and tomahawks and spears and that kind of thing. So I think probably the main thing that we really wanted to mention is Amber Midthunder's extraordinary mm. perf- performance as Naru, the Comanche young woman who is basically the star of this film along with her, mm-hmm. her brother Tabu. And... Um, Oh, my God, she just knocked me out watching this. 
We have seen her before in a variety of films and TV shows. Yeah, so I recognised her and I couldn't figure out from what, but she was in Legion, so that's a fantastic show. If you've not caught it, it sort of flew under the radar a little bit, uh, is Marvel Legion, but kind of sits on its own to the side and she played a character in that and she had a bit of a fighting action role in that too and I thought she was amazing um, in that role and I was really happy to see her spring up here and I think she does a really amazing job of being very magnetic and expressive and I was just so stoked that this one had like it centered around a female warrior as well and it said so much subtlety in a subtle ways about what her life is like and the expectations on her with again out without trying to do too much in certain areas I think as you said the pace just moved so well that it never lingered on on any aspects that I wasn't as interested in and as someone who's been playing a lot of Horizon Forbidden West, it definitely gave me these cool like bow and arrow hunting vibes. But um, I really enjoyed uh, seeing all of the hunting scenes and also just how richly they kind of set the the scene and had the atmosphere of that time and place. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, it felt historically accurate, so to speak, mm. uh, apart from <laughs> the fact that there's an alien hunter <laughs> rampaging across the yeah. landscape. I, I particularly liked her performance she just nailed it there was a yeah there was a a nice aspect to this it was um she's a a young woman in a fairly active tribe um, Mm -hmm. hunter gatherers she is supposedly supposed to be a gatherer Mm. (laughs) but she just wants to get out there with a brother and be a hunter like Mm -hmm. the rest of them in fact she wants to undergo her own particular rite of passage so basically yeah, yeah. that involves hunting something that can hunt you back. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it reminds me of performances from Waxia films actually from mm. earlier on. Like there's a film called Come Drink With Me uh, about a female warrior and it's got that kind of tone to it. She's yeah. determined. She's extremely observant. In fact, I yeah. think that she's the best hunter in her tribe. Mm. Nobody else will acknowledge that (laughs) unless they are forced to. Uh, And as I was pointing out when I was watching this, um, she's got one advantage in this in particular. She's used to fighting people bigger than herself. Mm. So she has to use some amount of skill and subtlety and invention too, which I thought was clever. And you'll know, yeah, you'll know yeah. what I mean when you see this about a Waxia film. There's some stuff that happens in this. You think, ah, yes, <laughs> I've seen, <laughs> I've seen that uh, plot device before. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling the film, watching it on, you know, on, even on television, uh, feeling the menace of the woods, um, the feeling that uh, anything can happen there. Basically, this is forest primeval, and just about anything can walk out of it. Mm. Possibly not something like what does in this film, but, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, yes, there's CGI in this, of course, because, um, you know, they don't want to hurt actual animals and that's good. No. And I think this is just a, a stunning entry in the Predator saga. Look, everyone sort of goes, oh, is it going to reboot the franchise and all that? You know, as a film goer, I'm watching it thinking, I don't care about that. I'm watching this film. Mm, you know, mm, uh, mm, yes, mm. there are things in this that imply that this could go on, some very nice links to the other Predator films. Yep. But other than that, I'm there for the ride and, oh, my gosh, what a great ride. 
totally agree. And I want to see Amber Mid-Thunder in more stuff. I would love to see her at the centre of another action film, more sci-fi, anything. I thought um, she was wonderful. So definitely keen to see her more on the screen, hopefully, in the future. Well, you will. She's in Avatar. Now, now you immediately think of Blue Smurf, but it's not that Avatar. It's the other one, Avatar The Last Airbender. And she snagged the role of uh, Princess Yu. So look out for her in that coming up. So, you know, I mean, this is great. (laughs) I mean, five films down in a franchise, plus two we won't even talk about. And here we are with a film this good in it. Ah, great. Now, of course, I've set that up for you. I've oversold it. I know, but I think it's just good fun. Like, honestly, I just thought it was a solid film. So I think we're all right to to pump it up a little. So, yeah, good find, Rob. Thanks for the suggestion. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And please, please do go back and watch the original Predator movie. Because <laughs> that's a ride. I will. It is a creature yeah. of the 1987s, you know, so it mm, is what mm, it is. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you'll get there pretty, pretty quickly. And like I said, glorious cinematography. Remember The, um, uh, the Revenant? Mm-hmm. with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. it's got mm-hmm. that feeling to it. Okay. All right. And, of course, they have an, another inventive end credits sequence in this uh, at the end of the film. Um, and end credit sequences now, they're amazing. It's like a film in itself. And they take the particularly nice touch of doing um, – uh, North American um, First Nations hide paintings. So, you know, they're, they're, they're doing these on um, animal skins. And and I'd first encountered these in a book about um, the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And so there's this entire narrative told on uh, on um, on uh, buckskin, I'm imagining, or something similar, uh, of Custer's defeat on there. And, you know, which is um, hard luck for Custer and his lads, but, you know, from the, the American... First Nations point of view, it was a very big deal. Uh, Hi, this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the TV series Supernatural, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Zero G, idiots. All right, so we are moving now on to other myths and legends, some films from the 2022 70th myth. Yes, indeed. So it kicked off on the 4th uh, in Melbourne City. So all of the cinema screenings are kicked off at that time and it will continue to go until the 21st of August. So you'll be able to see films in cinema until the 21st of August and there are also showings out in the suburbs in places like St Kilda, Hawthorne, Yarraville and Coburg and in regional Victoria as well. So in places like Warrnambool, Bendigo, Sorrento, Geelong, Castlemaine, Mildura and so on. So you can check for details on where you can see what particular films or at miff.com.au and you'll also be able to stream selections from the festival program and now that's available now and it will be available to stream until the 28th of August. So there's some additional details on how you can access the program via stream and you can again find all those details at myth.com.au. But we've had such a nice time with the festival having kicked off and we have a couple of uh, specific films that we've checked out to talk about today. Yeah, and it's always an interesting thing for Zero G to go into this because you can't get screeners for everything. It's just the way that it works out. So we 
put together a fairly big list of things that we enjoy from the genre and think we might be interested in. You know, usual sort of zombie ones, vampires, space set ones, time travel, you know, all of the tropes. This one is called The Lonely Spirits Variety Hour, and it is directed by Platon Theodorus, and he's a filmmaker, a local filmmaker, who has created a film called Alvin's Harmonious World of Opposites. That was his first feature film. And this one is his second one. I think he's got a more inventive approach to titles than the Predator movie franchise. (laughs) So the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour particularly captured my attention because it's about a radio station. Now, Mm. obviously the budget is probably not the biggest in the world, so... (laughs) So it's set in radio station uh, FFFFFM 5900, <laughs> which he stumbles over numerous times. The pro- presenter, producer, DJ, he's everything actually. He's uh, mm-hmm. um, a guy called uh, Raben Drinneth Umbrella Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as he says to his mum when she walks into his makeshift studio, it's Neville when I'm on air, mum. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is actually a studio that he has built in his garage. So he's knocked together some some flats and covered them with egg carton containers. Oh. oh. <laughs> Set in a, and the window, the green room is actually a narrow little corridor in the side of the garage filled with lawnmowers and... The green room. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And the interior of the studio has obviously been... He's, he's imposed his studio on it, so he's got all his tech gear and his consoles mm, and his, uh, CD players, which is actually like a, a little Walkman-type CD player that's plugged into the console. All that sort of stuff. Great. Bless him. Amazing. Uh, and he's Im- imposed this upon a typical suburban garage. So it's full mm. of all the stuff that used to be in the house but has now mm-hmm, been relegated mm-hmm. to the uh, the garage. So there's yep. like the velvet painting of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, the Princess Diana commemorative plate on the wall. Over the back of Classic. his chair is a macrame fro, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> so yeah. It's like yeah. it's, it's yeah. these two things crashing. So full marks to the set dresser for that. Yeah. And the beauty of that is if you've got a low budget and you are going, and then how many people have done this in films? You build your set in your garage and here you are, the maximum usage. It's great. So incredible just there. And I'm just so chuffed at seeing all of that. He's got like uh, an electric organ there that he plays to do riffs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also (laughs) he also pretends that that's his, uh, he's playing tracks from that too. So he just makes up anything. And this is um, a film that is not exactly what it seems. I won't go into the the MacGuffin of the plot, what's actually going on. But, you know, for old Neville, he operates the consoles like a beetle with its head tucked nervously into its carapace that can only do like two-legged typing on the consoles and stuff. So it's like hunt and peck. And the look upon his face is like somebody who's staring into a precipice. So oh. since he's kind of like a one-man band on this whole thing, you know, you get that. Yeah. And who's listening to it? Well, we occasionally have little flashes to people in the suburban environment, you know, and it's exactly okay. what you would expect. In fact, some of the guests that he has on, and that's why it's called the Variety Hour, 
they they can't find his frequency listed anywhere. So it's you know, uh, it's got a Python esque feel to it, and um, obviously a bit Spike Milligan, and maybe mm. if we could see the old Goon Show being made. That would be kind of mm. like this. And it's also a bit Wes Anderson in, in its colour palette, though it's not with that fearful symmetry in, in its framing. <laughs> you know, So some of the guests, uh, Kenneth Wong comes in. He's an acoustic guitarist with a song about Waffles, his cat. And, in fact, he has more than one song about Waffles, lots and lots and lots of songs. Then there is um, an artisanal bread maker who's brought her starter culture in, which we would not think would be very – entertaining on radio but it can be and sabrina d'angelo who actually has got a bit of a crush on neville and uh she's a well i won't tell you what she is <laughs> she she brings in a cd and then she goes on from there and it actually cacked me it was a, it was a crazy idea but she's a big fan of neville's broadcasting there are occasional cuts to big animal sculptures and he's also got a backing band that plays shoegazing jazz. And you know what I mean when I say that. Uh, but the meta story to this, the bigger story is even more complex than what's going on on the screen and in the mm-hmm. studio. So I won't tell you what that is, but I actually think this is a really neat little package. Maybe mm-hmm. it goes on a little bit longer, but hey, you know, he won't be the first radio producer or broadcaster to do that. (laughs) 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 All right. It is called the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour. And it is available to stream. So that's one of the ones that's available on Miff Play. So you'll be able to stream that up to the 28th of August, if that sounds of interest. Hmm. Oh, this is me, right? Uh, oh, <clears throat> right, voiceover time. Avast there, mateys. This is Captain John English, and you'll be listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Pirate radio, har har. Beware of cheap pirate copies. <laughs> so now we are still talking about MIF 70, 2022 films, Melbourne International Film mm-hmm. Festival, and we sail straight into a film with another great title, I think this is the our, our pick for the best title of the festival so far, The Cow Who Sang a Song Into the Future, <laughs> directed by Francisca Allegria, and who also wrote the co- co-wrote the screenplay. And um, she's a Chilean filmmaker. She did um, uh, screenwriting and directing at Columbia University. And basically this is set in Chile. It is a fantasy film. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's got some themes ripped from the headlines. There's been a, a mass fish kill die off in Rio Cruces, that's a Cruces River. And in the middle of all this, uh, a woman comes surging up from the depths of the river. Now, it's not a zombie type thing, but it kind of <laughs> is. Like she's, okay. she's dressed in a motorcycle riding kit with a helmet. And she immediately starts spluttering and gasping for air. Her name is Magdalena, and she has been missing for years, presumed dead. So she will come back to her old haunts, causing mm-hmm. a, a fair bit of chaos, as you can imagine. She's got a mysterious wound in her forehead, which we will mm-hmm. see because there are flashbacks to her 
normal life, her before death mm-hmm. life, uh, that wound is actually representative of wounds made by her and by her family. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a bit of a metaphor running in there. And she's played by mm-hmm. Mia Maestro. Now, she is a singer, an Argentine actress, and also somebody who we've seen before in the Breaking Dawn Twilight Saga movies, oh. uh, where she plays a vampire called Carmen. Okay. She also has a bit of, sing- of a sing-along in that too. Now, look, there is a cow in this and a herd of cows, so fear not, it's <laughs> not going too obscure there. Um, and the first bit of magic that we really see in the movie is that she goes to get on a bus and the driver says, well, that's 700 units of local currency. And mm. she just pats him on the hand and walks into the bus. And so that's the first bit of magic that the driver doesn't worry about it. <laughs> I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Look, I thought this was a fine film in itself. I'm not sure if it goes anywhere in particular in terms mm-hmm. of getting too much into the big themes. It's got a feeling of, of wistful, poignant nostalgia for an earlier time before mm-hmm. the fish mm-hmm. kill. but. There's also a feeling that the environment of the actual forest and river are coexistent with the environment of her family, if you know what I mean. Okay. So there's yeah, a sort of yeah, a, yeah. A, a synthesis as they blend together and we get the whole mm-hmm. thing coming through. I think it's an accomplished film. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. to my personal taste, but mm-hmm. if you're in for something a bit more lyrical, but at the same time also strangely intimate with the family grouping in this, then this film is for you. It is called The Cow Who Sang a Song Into the Future. It does star Mia Maestro, and you will know her from the Twilight movies and also from shows like The Strain and Hannibal. Yeah. So, yeah, she's been around a bit. Dragged a little bit of music from that. You can still catch that one. There's a couple of sessions uh, playing uh, live in cinema sessions as well, so you can check that out on myth.com.au. Hi, this is Joss Whedon, creator of Serenity, Buffy, and Angel. Welcome to New Melbourne, home of fish, fish-based activities, zero-G, and Radio 3 Triple R FM. Triple R, it's independent radio, and it aims to misbehave. All right, so we're on the final film we'll talk about today from the Melbourne International Film Festival, and it is... Gosh, can we pick them? <laughs> no, that's not the title. It is Flux Gourmet, a 2022 mm. black comedy film written and directed by Peter Strickland, a British film writer, a film director and screenwriter. We know him for the psychological horror film Barbarian Sound Studio, and mm. which stars Toby Jones and also the Duke of Burgundy and In Fabric, which is about a haunted dress. Now, we've actually talked about these in, in previous myths uh, as we've gone along, so I look forward mm-hmm. to another weird movie from him. And this one is about as weird as it gets. It's about the Sonic Catering Institute, which is mm-hmm. a kind of an isolated mansion, not exactly a cabin in the woods, a bit more upmarket than that. And essentially it's run by uh, a woman who is played by Gwendolyn Christie. 
and she, of course, is from Game of Thrones and mm. some Star Wars movies where she played Captain Phasma. Mm. <laughs> Boy, we were saying the Predator has problems with its titles, names in <laughs> Star Wars. Gosh, who knew? Anyway, she um, is a, got a striking presence in this film. Well, we know she's very tall to start with. They make the most of it, that and they give her some pretty exotic costumes in this to mm. fill out her epic frame. And she is the person who is in charge of this institute. So the way she does that is she has dinner parties each night. And mm-hmm. people have to give after-dinner speeches, which is where it gets weird. But, you know, mm. it stays weird because the sonic catering is actually a process whereby they cook meals and record the sounds from it and then turn it into music. Right. Okay. Right. That doesn't sound too kooky. No. I mean a little bit kooky. What is kooky is that there's an actual website devoted to this and there's a band which has Peter Strickland in it too. <laughs> so we'll play some of that music later on. I'm not sure exactly what they were cooking in that. Could have been anything because there's some pretty odd things that they cook in this movie. Let me say mm. that it gets scatological. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> exactly the face that I made when I saw that and I thought, oh, okay, this is that kind of film. All right, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. Gwendolyn Christie is amazing in this as is um, – Asa Butterfield, who is, Mm. uh, well, you know, we've seen him before in The Boy in the Striped Pajamas and in Ender's Game and Hugo and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. And Mm. his after-dinner anecdotes are delivered from beneath his head of mop hair um, with remarkable aplomb and a bit, shattering because they're erotic daydreams so i remember him as a younger kid from those other movies so here he is a bit bit more grown up and a bit scarred (laughs) i feel in this um oh by the way um, gwendolyn christie's also playing lucifer in the sandman series oh cool which has dropped too so you know we'll have to get to that too eventually uh and we also have uh ariane labed in this play another character a greek french actress and film director and also, I just want to mention that her husband was, is uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh-huh. Yeah, which means that she got to play the maid in The Lobster. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> not the reason why she got to play it. She was also in Assassin's Creed. So some of the other actors and actresses have appeared in previous Strickland films as well. You know how it works. Yeah. You get, yeah, your, yeah, you get yeah. your crew, you get your entourage, and you just like having them to be along with you. Uh, another performance in this that I thought was amazing is uh, Marquis uh, Papa Dimitrio playing Stones. He's a journalist mm-hmm. writer in this book, but he's suffering from flatulence, which makes it very hard for him to stand near the microphones. <laughs> and it's actually mm-hmm. it's actually a potentially tragic story arc for him in this movie. Mm. What will happen with this? Look out also for Richard Bremer playing Dr. Glock. Uh, he's an English actor who we have seen as uh, portraying Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stones. So this is like the flashback sequence where uh, he arrives at the uh, the home of the Harry Potter's parents to kill them. So Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is like a, a weird sort of <laughs> thing to have in your CV. CV. All right, so I thought this is a very strange movie, and that's all right because I'm at the myth to be challenged. 
And uh, I, I, again, I think that um, they haven't exactly overplayed this because they've got so much odd content in it. All yeah, right, so that yeah. is Flux Gourmet at the MIF 2020. And there's still a couple of sessions of that that you can run along to if you're interested in uh, this unique film, including one that's showing in Geelong as well. Hmm. All right, that's about it for Zero G. We'll go out with a track from Flux Gourmet, which is actually by the Lac. Uh, the Sonic Catering Band from their album Seven Transdanubian Recipes, and it's called Lactic Sugar Dream. Not galactic, but lactic sugar dream. And basically they're just having a bit of a, a fry up and mm-hmm. you can hear the sounds going on through there. Is this not an entirely appropriately strange track to be played on Zero G? <laughs> or should we should we preserve this for Eat It? <laughs> what do you think, Cam? <laughs> Speaking of fellow Triple R broadcasters, we have Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And we'd also like to thank our podcaster for doing such a good job of cooking the podding that is Zero G online. Yes, thank you, Alice. And thank you to everybody at the MIF who's been helping us out, pick out these mm. gourmet selections for the MIF. Okay. Bon appetit, Megan. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.